On the evening of February 5, 1997, Richard Adderson began the 40-minute drive from his office as a school administrator in Orange County to his home in LaGrange, New York. Shortly after crossing the Newburgh Beacon Bridge on eastbound I-84, Richard and an unknown motorist had a minor collision, which prompted both drivers to pull off to the side of the road, presumably to assess the damage and exchange information. But had the collision been the result of road rage, they may have stopped to assess blame and, at the very least, voiced their displeasure with each other's driving. While a number of passing motorists did report observing two men arguing on the side of the road, no one witnessed what would play out only moments later. At approximately 6 p.m., the unidentified male shot Richard once in the chest. He then returned to his vehicle and quickly disappeared into the darkness of the winter evening. Adderson was left to crawl back to his own vehicle and call 911, where he was able to provide the make, model, and color of the fleeing vehicle. He identified a New Hampshire license plate, although it's unclear if he was able to provide any plate number. And, according to New York State Police, Adderson described the shooter as a middle-aged, white male, approximately six feet tall, having a slight build, a receding hairline, and eyeglasses. Tragically, Richard Adderson may not have known it at the time, but he was describing his killer. From the outskirts of New York City, Slim Turkey is pseudonymously hosted by Lee Purchase, with the occasional cluck from the Yonkers love chicken himself, Mr. Slim Turkey. Hey, I'm Lee Purchase, and if I sound a little nervous, it's because I am. This is my first attempt at podcasting, and it's strange having a microphone in front of you for the first time recording all your thoughts. So please bear with me. I'm sure my dynamic and magnetic personality will start to show itself within the first couple of episodes. In this first season, we'll be examining the 1997 apparent road rage incident that ultimately took the life of Richard Adderson. My buddy, Mr. Slim Turkey, will occasionally be joining me here in the studio, on the phone, or wherever we get a chance to talk with his opinions on the homicide. Together, we'll be exploring this case in great detail to learn just how and why this crime has gone unsolved and unpunished for 21 years. But most importantly, our main goal is to bring attention back to Richard Adderson's case and to reinvigorate the police investigation in the hope that justice will prevail and Richard's friends and family may be given the ultimate closure. So why name the show Slim Turkey? (laughs) Well, it's a play on the old expression Slim Pickings, which you probably never heard of before. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines Slim Pickings as very few good things to choose from as in, it was slim pickings on the last day of the sale. Now, for all the publicity the Richard Adderson case has received from America's Most Wanted to Unsolved Mysteries and the vast coverage of printed press, there have been very few good things to come of it. As in, 
clues have remained slim pickings for police throughout their investigation. Now, back to that fateful night in February 1997. State police, say your name one. I did an aneurysm, she shot. What's your name, sir? Richie Addison, she shot. He pulled the gun and shot me, please help me. Okay, we have an ambulance anyway. 12 seconds. It's difficult listening to those 12 seconds of Richard Adderson's frantic 911 call. In that call, he would describe his killer, his vehicle, and he would provide investigators with at least some insight into the confrontation that ultimately led to an unknown motorist pulling a gun and shooting him once in the chest. New York State Police released edited clips of that 911 call to the American Crime Series, Unsolved Mysteries, and the episode featuring Adderson's case was first televised in May 1998. A little more than 20 seconds of that call were aired, but courageously, Richard would stay on the phone with the 911 operator for nine minutes. Socrates said, The greatest way to live with honor in this world is to be what we pretend to be. Don't we all pretend at one moment or another to be brave, gritty, tenacious, and stout? The last time I was really brave and gritty was last year when I went to dinner by myself in a crowded Manhattan restaurant without my phone or even a book. Seriously, though, those words of Socrates are words I would use to describe Richard Adderson. A man who, facing his own mortality, continued to hold on and fight for himself and for his family. According to several accounts, Adderson crawled back to his car to make that call. The man was intent on surviving a gunshot to the chest and leading police to his assailant. Curiously, what was not released from his 911 call was Adderson's description of the New Hampshire license plate. For those not familiar with New Hampshire license plates circa 1997, allow me to digress for a moment. New Hampshire produced the same license plates from 1987 to 1998. It was a very simple design with a white background, no border, green block lettering, New Hampshire was printed across the top with a picture of the old man of the mountain in a small circle off-centered between New and Hampshire in a lighter shade of green. And finally, in smaller type, the state's motto, live free or die, was written across the bottom. Now, the state's license plates pre-1987, they were, in fact, very similar to its neighbors. And this is hard to say. Uh, Massachusetts's plates. Those two plates both shared an off-white background, a green inset border around the entire plate, and green block lettering. From a distance, those two license plates could easily have been mistaken for each other. Nevertheless, on February 10th, only five days after the murder, The New Hampshire Union Leader, a daily newspaper, reported that New York State Police investigators had already landed in Manchester. And they would frequently travel to and from the area. 
One New York state trooper even announced that information had been developed to lead investigators to believe that the gunman had ties to the Manchester, New Hampshire area. So, something in that 911 call lent credibility to Adderson's identification of the New Hampshire license plate. Richard Adderson had remained clear and coherent despite being shot in the chest. This was further reinforced in April of 1997, now two months after the murder, when the law firm of McLean, Graff, Rowlerson, and Middleton was hired by an unknown client to, quote, make inquiries into the Adderson investigation. And where was this law firm from? Yeah, you guessed it. Manchester, New Hampshire. All this information was subsequently released in September 1997 by another New York State police investigator, Matthew Renneman, who even identified the McLean attorney involved as Mr. Peter Anderson. Mr. Anderson, you disappoint me. So that brings me to an interesting question. The New York State police revealed that Adderson had described his killer, his vehicle, and even identified a New Hampshire license plate. So why not release that excerpt of the 911 call as well? Although police reported that the minor damage to Adderson's 1995 Volvo would indicate the unknown motorist had sideswiped his vehicle, they never officially released the positioning of the two vehicles after they had pulled off to the side of the road. Now, I've watched the Unsolved Mysteries episode countless times. In its recreation of the shooting, Richard's vehicle is stopped in front of his assailant's SUV. Perhaps the New York State Police provided the show's producers with that information. Or perhaps the show assumed artistic license for dramatic effect. Or maybe the police just didn't know the vehicle's positioning at all. But one thing is for sure. Richard had been in close proximity to his killer's Jeep. Had he identified more than just the old man of the mountain on the plate? Was he able to provide a letter or even a partial plate number? I won't speculate, because that portion of the 911 call was never released to the public. But then again, neither was the little tidbit that the killer had identified himself as a police officer. By April 1998, a little more than a year after Richard Adderson's murder, New York State Police and senior investigator Matthew Renneman had returned to Manchester with a secret. In any police investigation, Renneman said, it helps to withhold information from the public, but at some point, circumstances change, and it's in the best interest to release some of that information. Really?
Renneman would further disclose that the unknown motorist who killed Richard Adderson had identified himself as a police officer before shooting his victim. Quote, he could be a current, former, or retired police officer. We also recognize the individual may not be a police officer at all. End quote. Now that is an entirely fair point. I've personally met people who run the full gamut. You have individuals who claim to be cops because they are buffs, or as policemag.com defines them, they're overzealous citizens looking for a crime in progress to take matters into their own hands. There are criminals who impersonate cops to commit crimes. There are cops who will gladly volunteer that they are cops while they're off duty. And then you have cops who would never admit to their own mother that they're cops when they're off duty. So Renneman's assessment was both accurate and somewhat disheartening. At that point, 425 days had passed since Richard Adderson had been shot and killed, and police were no closer to making the determination whether Adderson's killer was a rogue cop or a police impersonator. Coincidentally, police would also reveal that Adderson had been shot with a 40 caliber handgun, the standard service weapon of more than a few police departments at the time. This is what we have to decipher. Police finally disclosed that the killer had identified himself as a cop. But then again, he may not be a police officer at all. But Adderson was shot with a common police-issued round. And this was not the only time that police seemed to confuse the public. When it came to police sketches of the suspect, they actually released three different sketches. So... Why would they continue to confuse the public and compromise any potential tips that may come in? You're essentially confusing the shit out of people. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! So what gives? Well, I can only speculate that police had to have some end goal or end game in releasing this seemingly contradictory information to the public. Could they possibly have been attempting to flush someone out or gain someone's confidence and trust in acknowledging that they were searching for a police officer? Again, why not release that excerpt from the 911 call as well? The chances that someone knows something about this case is far greater than the chance that the only two people who knew anything were Adderson and his killer. I'm not going to pretend that I know anything more than the police do. They are undoubtedly the professionals here. But isn't it possible that the killer may have done something like this either before or afterwards and say, use language that could be a potential clue to someone who either knows him or had heard a similar expression in the past? These are just some of the questions we'll be attempting to answer in our first season of Slim Turkey. Suffice it to say, there seems to be entirely more to this case than meets the eye. After spending the better part of this year researching this story and interviewing dozens of people connected with it, I'm convinced that many of them know more than they're letting on. Now, I don't know what that is, and I don't know if they're hiding anything, but I am determined to find out, and this podcast is the perfect starting point. 
I'm hoping that you, our listeners, will know someone or remember something. At the very least, if enough of us start digging around and demanding answers, the truth is bound to come out, isn't it? Now, I know I may be a little idealistic, but together, we just may get to the bottom of this. So, what do we have in store for the rest of the season? Here's a brief preview of some of the topics that we'll be delving into. For one thing, we need to ask the question, was the murder of Richard Adderson a case of road rage? In some ways, it would be unusual if it was a case of road rage because that type of violence hadn't really made it out to the East Coast yet in 1997. That was more of a West Coast thing at the time. We do it different on the West Coast. We do it different on the West Coast. Also, as mentioned earlier, there are questions surrounding whether or not the killer was a police officer. We'll devote an entire episode to both sides of that debate. In another episode, we'll explore the interesting connection between this case and the town of Manchester, New Hampshire. We'll spend an episode discussing Sissy Taylor. Sissy was the crime reporter at the Union Leader newspaper. What did Sissy really know about this case? And what role, if any, did her own death in 2012 play in adding to the intrigue of the Richard Adderson case? Next, We'll dig into the connection between this case and the law firm of McLean Middleton. How does attorney-client privilege play out in cases like these? We'll cover that topic in one of the later episodes in the season. In another episode, we'll talk about the self-defense angle and what bearing this may have had on the case. And finally, we hear a lot about cold cases in the news and on TV crime shows, but what exactly is a cold case? Why do cases go cold anyway? And why do some cases eventually get solved while others don't? We'll devote one of our final episodes of the season to these questions and more. But before we get into any of that, there's something that we need to explore that's far more important and more compelling than just the cold facts of a cold case. Ironically, when telling the story of Richard Adderson, Richard Adderson, the person, often falls through the cracks. Richard Adderson's story, where he stars as the friend, husband, protector, champion, teacher, and dad, is secondary to the story of him as a victim. I'll be interweaving his personal story throughout the series because I believe that story is equally as important as what happened on the evening of February 5th, 1997. After all, it was that story that led Richard to stop his Volvo on the side of the road in Fishkill, New York. It led him out of his vehicle to confront the unknown, and we'll learn in many ways. It sealed his fate. That's the story, the story of Richard Adderson, the man that we'll discuss on our next episode. Ah, one more thing. So we have Mr. Sleep Turkey in the studio right now, Turkey, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your fascination with this case? Hi, hello, everyone. I know that many people are fascinated with death, but I always had this unusual fascination with murder. That fascination turns to obsession when it comes to unsolved murder, and God forbid, murder that was committed multiple times by the same person who's never been caught. 
shit. Then I'm fucking addicted and scared. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What's up? I said, I said, okay. <laughs> so I'm an IT guy who has a healthy fascination with murder, but that, that doesn't make me coil. A coil? What's a coil? Creep on you later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not a coil. So, uh, Turkey, <laughs> what actually drew you to this case? The fact that it was on America's Most Wanted. It was on Amer- Unsolved Mysteries. And then even like the last bit that it's possible that it could be a serial killer. Maybe. What the fuck are you talking about? Made the case more, gave it like an onion, gave it more layers. An onion. I like that. Yeah. I like that. It was pretty compelling. And I decided, hey, let me hand, lend a hand. Amateur detective style. <laughs> Amateur detective <laughs> style. Uh, so there you have Mr. Slim Turkey, who will be occasionally helping out. Last thing that I I have to ask, the Yonkers love chicken. What's that about, Turkey? Who doesn't love chicken? <laughs> Vegan. Yeah, that's the only ones I just thought of that. Pescatarians. <laughs> I want to thank you for listening to the show. In the future, I'm going to put out an episode every two weeks or so. So check back in a couple of weeks for episode two, Richard Adderson, The Family Man. And if you like the show, please fatten up this turkey with some positive reviews on iTunes. It'll really help us getting more episodes out to you. For now, I'm Lee Purchase, and this is Slim Turkey. (laughs) 